So with that being said, we're going to get into the message uh, for today, and we are going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, as we are continuing through our series on the book of Colossians, and now we are uh, pretty much halfway through. We are in the second half of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. As a reminder, last week we were, were looking at legalism and how uh, as much as Paul was so thankful for all the great things that were happening in the church in Colossae, and, and this church, remember, Paul, there was such great stuff happening, so much so that every time Paul prayed, he was giving thanks to God because of the great stuff that was happening in this church, particularly how loving they were. This was a church that was filled with love for each other, and Paul was thrilled about that. But it wasn't a perfect church. Because one of the things that they were getting tripped up by was legalism. And particularly when I say legalism, what I mean is that they, in their instance, they were going back into some of the things of the Old Testament Mosaic law, like what you can eat and what you can't eat in certain uh, festival days that they thought, oh, you had to keep these days. And, and they were getting tripped up, and these, these things... This legalistic structure became um, too important. It became more important. It became something that was um, dominating their spirituality. And Paul had to remind them that this is not the essence of the gospel. This is not what Christianity, this is not what relationship with God is really ultimately about. And the thing is, if you live in this legalistic manner where for you, your relationship with God consists primarily of a bunch of do's and don'ts and checking off the boxes and, hey, I went to church today. Hey, I read my Bible today. Hey, I'm good. I finished my obligations to God, and, and now I can go do whatever I want. That's a big problem because just to go back to the last verse from last week in chapter 2, Paul said this type of mentality, this type of legalistic thinking that breaks down Christianity into a bunch of do's and don'ts, into a system that you follow, is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value. It doesn't do anything for you or for anyone if we approach our relationship with God in that way. So now here in chapter 3, what Paul does is he moves on to the real deal. He moves on to that which truly provides value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now he gets, he gets into the meat of things, and he tells them this. This is what it's about. Verses 1 through 4, he says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me put it this way. What Paul is talking about here is identity. He's talking about identity. He's talking about who you are. What he's saying is legalism will not stop the indulgence of the flesh. Legalism is not true spirituality. True spirituality is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. It is about your identity. It's about 
who you are. That's the core of true spirituality. It's about who you are. Not these festivals or holidays or don't eat this, don't eat that, don't drink this, don't drink that. Paul says you have died and now your identity is found in Christ. You have had a fundamental identity change. It's about who you are. Look here in Ephesians 6. He says something amazing. He says God raised us, if you're a Christian, raised us up with Christ, with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a mind-blowing spiritual reality here. Paul is saying that as much as you, if you're a Christian, you may be here sitting on a plastic chair in the Sunnyvale Community Center, you're actually not just seated here on a plastic chair in the Sunnyvale Community Center. You are also seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. It's crazy. You're not just sitting here. You're also sitting with Jesus in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? How does that work? That is how deeply our identity has been changed. You're not just here. You are in Christ. As he said to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven, of the kingdom of God. You may be an American citizen. You may be a citizen of a different country. But there's a deeper more meaningful citizenship that you have, and it is as a citizen of heaven. And maybe you're like, yeah, I knew that. I understand. I'm a child of God. But Paul says here, and from it, from where? From what? From heaven. From heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is this crazy reality that when you become a Christian and put your faith in Jesus, you are no longer the person that you used to be. That person died. And by died, we mean died to our old self, to the sinful nature, to being our own gods and doing our own thing. And we have been raised with Christ. We've been resurrected. We've been given new life. Our spirit has been made alive so that we have a new identity, and that is as children of God, and we are in Christ and seated with him. Paul, let me say it again, the key is this. He is saying, be who you are. Brothers and sisters, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, if you are treating Christianity like a religious system, a bunch of things that you need to do that is so far off base because it is not a bunch of things that you do like I got to go renew my car insurance. I got to fill up the gas. I got to fix the boiler in my house. It's not a bunch of things you do. It's who you are. It's your identity. And, and, and if we, we cannot keep it in that place of a bunch of do's and don'ts, if we do that, we've missed the heart of it. It's about who you are now. You are not the person that you used to be, so be who you are. That's the essence of true religion, true Christianity. You are a child of God. 
That's why, as he said before, don't let people pass judgment on you. It's not about food and drink or a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. It's not about those things. It's about your identity as a child of God. That's what true religion is. Now, what he does in the remaining verses here is he basically says, if this is who you are, then there are certain things that you should stop doing and remove from your life, and there are certain things that should characterize your life. And he goes deeper than just things that you do. He goes into the things of the heart. Look at the things that he talks about here. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Look at the things that Paul's talking about. He's talking about the things of the heart, the things that characterize who we are as people. Not what you eat and drink, not a festival day, not if, you know, if I come to church on Christmas and and Easter twice a year, then I'm good. I've, I've got my relationship with God down pat. It is so much deeper than that. Let's look at a few of the things that he's talking about here. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion. You know, um, these things that he's talking about, God cares about the way that we are living in relationship with other people in terms of our sexual purity in our relationships with God. There was an um, article that Pew Research Center put out a couple of years ago, and the title of it was this, Half of U.S. Christians say casual sex between consenting adults is sometimes or always acceptable. Half. Half of Christians say this, that casual sex is okay, that you don't need to be married to the person that you're having sex with, that you can be a Christian That you can be in a relationship with God and you can go to church, you can do all those things, and at the same time, you can go home and you can go sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or or, or whatnot, and God's okay with that. He doesn't really care. You can separate that out. But God does care. Uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, but he says, don't even lust, don't even look at a woman lustfully. He gets deeper to the issues of the heart. A few years ago, uh, the Barna Research Group, they did a survey of Christians about pornography. And those Christians who said that they use pornography, uh, it was interesting. You may not be able to see it down here, but it said one-third of practicing Christian porn users say that they feel a sense of guilt when they use porn. One out of three will use pornography and then feel bad about it and feel like there's, there's, this is not right. This is not something that's pleasing to God. That, that's, I'm not concerned with that person. I'm concerned with these other two over here that are like, yeah, I use porn. I, I, I use that regularly in my life, and it doesn't bother me 
at all. I can go to church. I can serve. I can read my Bible. I can even be a leader in the church. But God doesn't care about lust in my life. He doesn't care. As long as I'm doing these other things, he doesn't care what I'm thinking in my heart. I'm not hurting anyone when I do this kind of stuff. God doesn't care. Now, this, this doesn't mean that as a person, as a Christian, you can never struggle with lust or with temptation or, 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 or have a battle going on in your life. Uh, I think I've shared before, when I was in, in kindergarten, when I was about six years old, was when I was first exposed to pornography. And I remember I brought pornographic magazines with me into Catholic school where I was going at the time, and I was showing it to other boys and stuff like that. I was a model student in this Catholic school. I was just, I was an angel there. That was me, six years old. And it was, it's been something that's been a, a big struggle in my life. It's been there for so many years, on and off, this battle. And, and so I understand, I can, I can relate to that. And maybe some of you in this room, men and, and women as well, maybe you struggle with this. And, and that's, that's understandable. That's part of the Christian life, the struggle. The problem is when we say God doesn't care about these things. And I can go on as long as I do the things that I feel like God wants me to do that are important, then these other aspects of my life don't make a difference. There is this dichotomizing going on. Uh, Paul says here, let me point out another one, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, you know, this is kind of strange when he says covetousness is idolatry. What does he mean by that? I think when we think about idolatry, usually we think about, oh, you know, like a golden calf and the Israelites worshiping another god that was made out of gold or stone or wood that they carved. What does he mean that covetousness is idolatry? What Paul means here is that covetousness, what it really is, is a dissatisfaction with the things that we have. And when we look at somebody else, whether somebody we know or the people around us, or social media, and we covet, we want the things that they have, whether it's you want the home that they have, you want the cars that they have, you want to be able to have the lifestyle that they have, and eat at the places that they do, and vacation in the places that they do. When you want those things, and that becomes so important to you, you are worshiping those things as opposed to God. Now, think about this for a moment. Think about this. We can, Christians can go to church, they can serve, they can give, they can do all sorts of things, but at the same time, imagine with me how much of our lives, the energy that we put into what we do, our work, what what burdens us mentally, the things that we think about is in pursuit of things that we don't have. How much is covetousness underneath, this layer underneath what's driving us to pursue and work our butt offs and be in this rat race and be stressed out and anxious and push other things in our life to the sidelines so that we can achieve, so that we can have more. Friends, I think that this is there in maybe a deeper way than we know. But God says that if we are in Christ, if that is our identity, this is a part of the old self. We can't do this anymore. That's not who we are Uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So much that's done in the name of 
productivity, advancing society, so many different things actually are fueled by, I want what this person has. I don't like what I have. I want what that person has. Is that what is underneath and driving many of us as well? Down here, he talks about anger, wrath, and malice. You know, we can, you know, there, there, there are some people at church who can be very polite, very respectful people, very, very nice. But you find out, you hear later on that this person is, has a terrible temper, and it comes out in the way that they treat uh, their husband or their wife, maybe the way that they treat their kids, maybe the way that they, they treat their direct reports at work if you're a manager, different people. It doesn't come out in church, but it comes out in the rest of life. Brothers and sisters, God cares about the rest of life. He cares about the rest of life. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years, and I'm a nice guy. I think I'm a nice guy. I don't yell at any of you. I hope most of you think I'm a nice guy. But there, for years of my life, there was this part of me that would come out when I was behind the wheel, when I was in New York, that, that you know, you can call road rage, and that actually, I would say, was a part of who I truly was coming out in a different circumstance, different, society, different situation. One time I was driving down the New Jersey Turnpike from New York City going over to Philadelphia. It was late at night. I was driving on a New Jersey Turnpike. It was probably like midnight, 1 a.m. I was driving. This guy behind me in a van is tailgating me because he doesn't like the speed at which I'm driving. I was very annoyed by this. So I'm not going to speed up. I'm not going to get out of the way because I am driving at a reasonable speed. This guy continued to tailgate me for three, four, five minutes on me, maybe like a foot and a half away from me. So eventually, I pull over. I get out of the way, and the guy takes off. But you know what I do? I chase him. And I now give him a taste of his own medicine and I tailgate him. Now, he had a more powerful van, and I had a 95 Honda Accord four-cylinder, and it took me a long time to catch him. But eventually, my top speed was similar to his, so close to his, so I could, I could eventually catch up to him. And then I was tailgating him for like three, four, five minutes, high beams, the whole nine yards. And then he gets annoyed, and he pulls over, and he tailgates me, and I'm going slow. I don't care. At times, I slow down. I think I slow down from like 80 to like 45, 40, just to piss him off. And then I pull over when I get tired of this, and then I tailgate him. We did this, honestly, I think about 20 to 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes on the New Jersey Turnpike. Finally, when it came time for me to get on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, I was tailgating him, I think, and then I peeled off to New Jersey Turnpike as if to say, ha ha, I tailgated you last, and now I'm gone. And then I drove another 30 minutes to get to seminary where I was a Bible student. <laughs> I did that drive every Sunday night after church. I 
went to continue my theological education in the study of God's word to be a minister of Christ and lead the congregation as an exemplary Christian. That's where I was going after 30 minutes of tailgating. Um, do, you, do, you have a, do you have an anger issue? Is your, does your spouse walk on eggshells around you? Do your kids sometimes catch the brunt of your anger? Do you have road rage? Do you treat people who report to you differently than you treat people you report to? God cares about that. That's a part of who we are. He cares about whether or not we slander. Do you speak critically of other people at times in order to make yourself look better? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I did not get this project done on time. I'm so sorry, man. It's on me. It is on me. But you know what? If, if John had gotten his part of the project done earlier, I, we wouldn't be in this situation. But hey, he had a lot going on in his life. Okay, so let's, let's just, let's take it easy on John. Yeah, he had a lot going on. But, so it's understandable. But if he had gotten his part done, we wouldn't be in this situation. Do you sometimes speak about other people in a certain way in order to protect yourself or to make yourself better, look better at the expense of the other person's reputation? Is there obscene talk? You know, God cares about the way we joke. Do we sometimes go along with the laughter in the group because we're afraid that we'll look strange if we stand there silently and stoically while they're all laughing and joking about something obscene or crude, and we feel like we should jump in and at least show that we are part of the crowd. God cares about the words that comes out of our mouth. In verse 9, Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Do you tell, quote-unquote, white lies at times because it's just so much easier than telling the truth? Rather than say, yes, I am late again to see you because I was dilly-dallying at home and got caught up in my social media feed for the 20th time. Yes, that was why. But instead of saying that, it's just so much easier to say, oh, the traffic was, um, it was, it was much heavier than usual today. I'm sorry I'm late, but man, I was really backed up on the 101. God cares about that because it's a part of who we are. Look at what James says about the things that we say. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. God is so not a God who is like the gods of the Old Testament neighboring nations that says, if you just bring sacrifices once in a while, a goat, a bull, something like that, me and you, we're good. You can go do whatever else you want. I don't care about how you talk to your wife or your kids or your husband. I don't care what you do at work. Just bring the sacrifice and we're good. God's not like those gods of the Old Testament. God, Jesus died on the cross to change our, our fundamental identity who we are, that old part of us is dead. 
He died on the cross so that part of us could die. The power of sin could be broken so that we could be raised with Christ and live in resurrection life. That's what it looks like to be a Christian, to put off the old self. This is why Paul here in verse 11 says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. There aren't these, look, the the old way that we used to look at things was just to categorize things. Oh, uncircumcised, no good. I got circumcised, I'm okay. As long as I'm on this side of the category and not on that side of the category, I'm okay. It's not about that anymore. It's not about Greek and Jew. It's not about these simple distinctions and easy ways of compartmentalizing things in our lives. But Christ is all and in all. God died for all of us. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could be here for an hour and a half on Sunday. He died so that you can be the light of the world Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day. At every moment, in every relationship, everywhere that you are, that's what God died upon the cross to do in us. So Paul says, you can't be a Christian and continue to do these things and think that you can just compartmentalize it and separate it out. So what does he say then? He says, that's not what Christianity looks like. But here is what it does look like. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, put on. We put off the old self. We put it to death. We don't do those. We don't live that way anymore. God cares about our heart. But what we put on then, who we should be, what should characterize us as people of God, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, is this, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Is there anything here that sounds like Paul is saying, the new Christianity, the new relationship with God looks like being at church every Sunday. It looks like serving in two committees in the church. It looks like giving X percentage of your income. He doesn't talk about any of those things. Not that those things aren't good and if they're done with the right heart, but God says to put on the things, the characteristics of Christ-likeness. These are the things that should be characteristic of who we are as people. I mean, it's going to go through a few here. Compassionate hearts. Are we compassionate people? Do we genuinely care about the plight of our brothers and sisters and those around us? Do we, as Paul said, hurt when they hurt and rejoice when they rejoice? Do we care about what's going on in each other's lives? Jesus did. In Mark 6, it says, when he went ashore and saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the huge crowds, and though he was probably very tired, 
he began to teach them because he saw them. And he saw them that they were like harassed sheep. They were helpless. The, the Pharisees and the religious leaders weren't teaching them about how to have a true relationship with God. And that broke his heart. That broke his heart. So in his tiredness, in his busyness, he stopped what he was doing to come and to teach them about how to have a true relationship with God because he was a compassionate God. And not only that, right after this, he fed them. He fed them all, 5,000. But with, their, with the women and the children, probably 20,000 people, he fed them all because he saw that they were hungry too. Our God is a compassionate God. Are you a person that will stop and listen to what is going on in somebody's life, truly seeking to understand and, and, and doing what you can to come and carry that person's burden? Is that reflective of who you are? Humility. Humility means being confident and secure in your identity in Christ, in who you are, and not needing other people to affirm your value. You know, because Jesus died for you and you're a child of God, that you have confidence in who you are and your worth in the eyes of God, and you don't need it from other people. You're somebody who doesn't need to have the last word with, when you disagree with somebody or when you're in arguments. You know, sometimes people, they say, I'll, I'll let you have the last word, and you go, oh, okay, and you kind of present your case, and then they say something again anyway. That's, that's not humility. That's needing to be right. It means you're confident in who you are, and you don't need other people to recognize you. You know, when I, um, it's, I like I said, I've been pastoring for like 20 years now, and sometimes I'll go to these different events, and, you know, they're Christian events. And I've been to these events before where everybody gets a name tag, kind of like in our church. And sometimes I've been to an event where if you're a pastor, they'll put pastor there, like Pastor Ulysses Wang or something, because they desire to kind of recognize the, the people in full-time ministry and honor them and stuff like that. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. You could do that, or you don't have to do that. I remember sometimes I go to these events, and I went to one event once, and I went and I got my name tag, and it didn't say pastor there. And I was really bothered by that. I was like, man, how come all these other people, they have pastor in front of their name. I didn't have pastor there. I felt slighted. I felt bothered. Like, I wanted to take a, grab a Sharpie and write pastor in, but that would look really, really petty. That would look really lame. But it bothered me inside because I wanted people to recognize me and to say, oh, you're such a spiritual person because you are a pastor. Paul here says meekness is something that should be representative of Christians. Meekness can be thought of as, as gentleness. I know that sometimes in this world, people, we may think, you know, I need to be so tough. I can't show any weakness. If I show weakness, people will take advantage of me. If I show weakness, I'll never get ahead at work. People will take advantage of me and look down upon me. Look, being meek and being gentle doesn't mean you let people walk all over you. It doesn't mean you don't have a backbone. Jesus was extremely meek and gentle. But at the same time, when he went into the temple and he saw how they were turning his father's house into a place of illegitimate commerce and ripping people off in how they sold 
animals to be used as a sacrifice in the sacrificial system, he flipped tables. He took cords and made a whip and, 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 and beat people and kicked them out of the temple. That was the same Jesus who is meek and gentle. It doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you. But meekness and gentleness means you don't need to prove that you are so tough so that no one in this world will take advantage of you or walk all over you. Meekness, humility is something that should characterize Christians. Here, this long one, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgiveness is something that should characterize who we are as believers as well. Um, You know, the Bible doesn't say that forgiveness is easy, especially if somebody has hurt you deeply. Forgiveness can be very, very difficult to do. But why this connects with identity is because our identity, who we are as Christians, is so deeply founded upon the fact that we are a forgiven people. That is so core to who we are, that we are a forgiven people, that we stand before God, that we are Christians. Something that was impossible, nothing that, something that we could never do on our own happened because Jesus died on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven. It is so fundamental to our identity that not forgiving somebody else is unthinkable biblically. Again, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It can be very difficult. It can take a lot of prayer. It can take a lot of people praying for you. It can take time as you bring your heart before God and pray and struggle and wrestle to be able to forgive. But it is something that should characterize us as a forgiven people. Last, it says, above all these, put on love. He said this binds everything together in perfect harmony. Um, Jesus here, you know, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon all, all, all of the commandments, all of the law is fulfilled in this. Brothers and sisters, everything, everything that we do should be out of love because we are a loving people, because God is love. That's why we love. So when you serve, you should serve out of love. When you give, You give out of love. When you come together on Sunday here to sing and worship God, it's because you love God, because you love Him. When you are in a community group, you go there because you love your brothers and sisters, and you want to be there to encourage them and to lift them up and to be there for them and to show compassion and to encourage them. Love is what should bind everything that we do. Are you somebody that is a person of love? Paul says this, this is what relationship with God looks like. This is what Christianity looks like. And this flows into 24-7, seven days a week, 365 a year. And, and, and if, we, if we end up compartmentalizing our relationship with God and we make it a legalistic thing, we're missing the heart of what Christianity is about. In verse 16 here, interestingly here, he says, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think this is interesting because lest we think that, yeah, I want a real spirituality. I want a real relationship with God. I hate the church. (laughs) I hate organized religion. I don't need to go to church. I can just be a spiritual person. I can be a person of love. I can be a person of love and a Christian without all this kind of other stuff. Look at the stuff that Paul talks about in verse 16 when he talks about the Word of God, which is, which is the Bible. That's how we have it now. Teaching and admonishing each other, singing and worshiping. It sounds like a church service. So many things that we do when we come together as a community. Spirituality, true spirituality, isn't against organized religion, but it means that church is instead organized around who you are and not just a bunch of things that you do. Church should be organized around who we are. We do these things because we are children of God. That is why we worship. That is why we sing, because we love God and because we love each other. Because I love you, I will teach you. Because you love me, you will admonish me. We do these things out of love, and they're a part of being a Christian. Let me close here in verse 17. I'm going to invite the worship team up at this time. Verse 17, which is so important here, when Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me once again compare this with verse 11. With verse 11, when he says that, you know, our tendency is to view things from Jew and Gentile, from circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Our tendency is just to use these categories and take relationship with God and compartmentalize it into categories and view our life in that way. The antidote to that is Paul says, no, relationship with God flows into everything. Christ is all in all. What does true religion, what does true relationship with God look like? It means doing everything in word or in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. It means when you go to work, you work in the name of the Lord Jesus. When you go to the supermarket, you go to the supermarket in the name of the Lord Jesus. The way that you are a neighbor to the people who live near you, you neighbor them in the name of the Lord Jesus. The way you treat your spouse and you talk to him or her, the way that you treat your children, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. The types of shows that you watch, the way that you talk, when nobody's, not when nobody's around, when the way you talk to other people, the way that you live when nobody's looking, all of those things are done in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's what true religion is, brothers and sisters. And I want to invite you this morning, this simple message, but this is the apex here, the climax, I think, of what Paul is teaching the Colossians. Don't get caught up. Don't get caught up in thinking your relationship with God is a bunch of do's or don'ts or a checklist. It permeates all of life because you are not the same person you used to be. You are now a child of God. You are a Christian. You are the salt and the light of this world. Can we stand together?
You know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, honestly, as a, like I said, as somebody who's been in full-time ministry for, for many years and kind of doing a lot, of, I, I have, you know, if there was a checklist, I could fill it. <laughs> Whether it's like going to prayer meeting and leading prayer meetings and preaching and teaching and showing up to church and coming early and doing, doing all those things. I mean, I, I could check all the things off of the checklist. But I remember I was talking to, um, I was talking to Pastor Peter from uh, Kairos Church down in San Diego. I love that brother. I was talking to him, I don't know, like a while ago. I think it was during COVID. And I, was, I was just telling him, I was like, man, you know, Peter, I, I feel so tired sometimes of being a pastor. I feel really tired of it, doing all these different things. And I said to him, I said, you know what I, I, want, I wish? I just, I just want to be a Christian. I just want to be a Christian. And what I, what I meant by that, what I was saying to him was that, what my heart was that, you know, I could do all these different things, but I felt like there was something missing. There's something that became just too much about doing these things, but something was missing in who I was as a person. In There's something about what I was doing that was getting disconnected from, am I loving you, God, in why I'm doing these things? Or is this like a job? There's, there's got to be more than this. That's what I was saying in my heart. I, I don't want it to be just about those things. I want to be a Christian. I want to I want to do everything that I do because I love you, Jesus. And, and I want to say, brothers and sisters, if, if, there's, if you feel that way, if there's something in your heart that resonates with that, that says, man, I just want, I just want to be a Christian. I just want to, I just want to be real. You know, that's, that's, that's a good news. That's good news. I believe God is doing something. God is doing something. If there's something in you that says, is this all there is? I just show up and, you know, I go to small group and I serve in something. Is this all there is? No, that's not all there is. And if you feel that way, that's good news. That's good news. I believe that's the Holy Spirit touching your heart and saying, come, seek something more. Seek something more. In me, there is fullness of life. There is so much more that I want to show you. A relationship of love and of you becoming a person of love and of you not just doing religion, but being a child of God, wherever you are, being an ambassador of Christ in your home and at work and when you're in the supermarket and when you're at church, everywhere. Something more holistic, something more full.